Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to jump in real quick. Me and Erica, we are not legal scholars. This is not legal advice. This is in no way meant to be taken as legal advice. We just wanted to put that little disclaimer in. So just remember that we are not here for financial advice or for legal advice. We are simply commentating on what we are seeing in the Pandora Papers. So with that, without further ado, here is part two of the Panama Papers. If you haven't listened to part one yet, definitely go and do that. It'll make so much more sense of what we're talking about in this episode. But here we are with part two. Okay. So if the Pandora Papers show the offshore practices infiltrating the rest of the world, including the largest democracies in the world, how exactly, how exactly did this all happen? I'm so glad you asked, Hunter, because in comes the FinCEN files, which is okay. was re- it was released a year before the Pandora Papers. So I like to think of them as hand in hand. Um, they definitely okay. intercept a lot when we were looking at our source for the ICIJ website. However, they are technically two separate ideas because I think the FinCEN files is more like zoomed in approach of exactly okay. how these like actors and these companies are able to really do this, like what crimes they may be breaking or what suspicious activity they're gathering. Whereas the Pandora papers is more of like kind of a general overview, basically like snitching on everybody. Mm-hmm. Pandora papers, like you, 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 you. And the FinCEN files. It was a little bit of like, everybody. It was a yeah, little bit of everybody. FinCEN files is the money trail and the Pandora okay. papers is like the naming. So. Okay. So the FinCEN files. As described by the ICIJ, pulled this right from the website, it's an investigation that reveals the role of global banks in industrial scale money laundering and the bloodshed and suffering that fall, that flows in its wake. That's heavy. I, would, I know. That's I wouldn't pretty have thought, heavy. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have thought there'd be like bloodshed, but then I'm like, wait, uh, Lel, yeah, because the you're just one. thinking about accounting. You're not thinking about the acts that come out of making all of this money and how you end up making all this money. You're not really thinking about that. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're creatively moving numbers around, numbers, commas, zeros. That's what we're doing here. It's like, no, this is real life consequences that we're seeing. Yeah, I just, it's a pretty heavy statement. That comes directly from the website though. So those aren't my specific words, but that's people who conducted the investigations words. So I, I trust it. Um, And these files include more than 2,100 suspicious activity reports filed by banks and other financial firms with the U.S. Department of Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Agency, which is abbreviated as FinCEN, which is why it's called the FinCEN files. Okay. Yeah, the agency, like, again, known as FinCEN, is an intelligence unit at the heart of the global system to fight money laundering, which I was telling Hunter before this episode, it's funny because at my work, I did a whole training devoted to money launder, anti-money laundering and finding and identifying crimes within the industry that I work in. So not only do we have credible sources, you are a credible source for this episode. I took a whole, it was like a three hour long training. I take, I have to take it every year. Um, So you're pretty fluent on it because you've been at your job for how long now? For a few years at this point. So yeah, just a little over two years. So I've taken it. I think the way I started it, um, I started in November and you have to take it like every December. So I've actually seen it three times now. Totally. Okay. So three times. So you're, you've taken this course, you become fluent, better with money laundering through home buying. 
And the FinCEN, like we definitely mentioned the FinCEN in our like training. That's where a lot of our information comes from. So I'm somewhat familiar with that agency and exactly what they're spotting and how they spot it and what exactly is designated as a suspicious activity. Okay. So for example, just you might not think that this is a money laundering or a financial crime, but if you get a mortgage and you claim that you are a, you're going to live in it. And then let's say you rent it out to your friends, but you get the loan as that you're the, it's going to be your primary residence, but then you end up renting it out to a friend. It's then classified as either a second home or investment property, mm-hmm. but you didn't it's disclose mortgage that. Fraud. Yeah. It's mortgage fraud. You didn't disclose that on your application for your loan. So then you can therefore be reported for mortgage fraud and it would go to the FinCEN to, you know, identify. Yeah. Because there's certain like tax legal. benefits that come along with having a primary residence versus a second home or a rental property. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, that's something I mean, that's like really minuscule that could happen to literally anybody, but the FinCEN's the same people who watches out for that is I guess the people who are transferring billions of dollars between the Cayman islands and literally anywhere everywhere mm-hmm. in the world affected by it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, but okay. So a little bit more about FinCEN. Let's the FinCEN files. Yes. The FinCEN files. So how exactly are they relating to the ICIJ? Yeah. So the ICIJ and its media partners, like we told you guys earlier, they partnered with like over 150 news outlets for the Pandora papers, same kind of token here. They partnered with a lot of media partners, especially for this FinCEN files, they really went with BuzzFeed News and they obtained more than 17,600 other records from insiders and whistleblowers, court files, freedom of information requests, and other sources. We love a good FOIA request. (laughs) The team interviewed hundreds of people, including financial crime experts, law enforcement officials, and crime victims. So they really got like a full scope. Okay. And I love the fact that they included whistleblowers because every single good thing that's ever come out came from a whistleblower. I mean, like a Watergate whistleblower, whistleblower, <laughs> wait, just wait till the JFK assassination whistleblower comes out. Crazy things, crazy things will be happening. Yeah. And according to Buzzfeed news, some of the secret records were requested as part of a U.S. congressional investigations into the Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And then others were gathered by FinCEN directly following requests from law enforcement agencies. Okay. Which just still kind of blows my mind how much the Russian interference, like conspiracy was kind of going around with the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And so to see a reference here again, is kind of like a. It's just, some, it's, it's really like multi-level, lane. very multifaceted of what this investigation really covered and how it relates to everything, which is crazy to think about that it has so many different impacts that we're still seeing today. Yeah. And so this, the FinCEN files really focused in on three major players as part of contributing to financial crimes. And so that would be multinational banks, law firms, and accounting practices. And Hunter, if you want to talk about how multinational banks contributed to this. Okay. So some of the banks that were exclusively mentioned within the Pandora papers are JP Morgan Chase, HSBC, Standard Charter Bank, Deutsche Banks, and the Bank of New York Mellon. So essentially, secret U.S. government documents reveal that J.P. Morgan Chase, HSBC, and other big banks defied money laundering crackdowns by moving large sums of illicit cash for suspect characters and criminal networks. 
And so the records that we're seeing show that five global banks, JP Morgan, HSBC, Standard Charter Bank, Deutsche Bank, and Bank of New York Mellon, they kept profiting from these very powerful and dangerous kind of actors, even after the U.S. authorities fined the financial institutions from earlier failures to stop the flows of dirty money. So I mean, what's a fine in the grand scheme of things when you're making billions? If you're making more money than you're being fined for, it makes no sense economically to stop doing that because you're continuing to make more money. So, you know, if I'm going and getting more views based off of me parking my car on another street or something, and I'm only getting fined $5 a day, but say that my weird little YouTube channel from parking in my neighbor's spot goes and gets me $10 a day, it doesn't make sense to stop doing that. I'm literally overcoming my losses and making a profit at that point. It doesn't make sense. So that's a great you know, example. Stupid little <laughs> analogy, but honestly, like to the most simplest form of it, it doesn't make sense for these banks to stop doing that. They're making profits off of it. So U.S. agencies responsible for enforcing money laundering, they rarely prosecute these mega banks. We saw this in the 2008 financial crisis. How many people went to jail for the 2008 financial crisis? Mm, I don't know, but how many people are in this, you know, justice system because of smoking a plant? How many people are How there? How many people for... got bailouts even when they were the ones doing predatory lending practices? Exactly. So like you're seeing that like the U.S. agencies that are responsible for really cracking down on these mega banks, they're almost too big to fail, which is sounding like a very leftist, almost like punchline at this point, but they really are almost too big to fail. And you're seeing that the U.S. regulating agencies, they also think that that's why they're not going after them. There's a reason there has to be a reason why these regulatory agencies aren't going after them. That's one of them. And so you're seeing that they, the actions that they do take, they barely do anything in the grand scheme of things. Like we just said, you're still seeing these banks going on and continuing to do the same things that they're getting fined about. So all in all, the ICIJ analysis found that documents identify more than $2 trillion in transactions between 1999 and 2017 that were flagged by financial institutions, internal compliance officers as possible money laundering or other criminal activity, including $514 billion at JP Morgan and $1.3 trillion at Deutsche Bank. This is all according to the Pandora Papers, like we said throughout this entire episode. That's where all of our sourcing is coming from this episode. And the suspicious activity reports reflect the concerns of watchdogs within banks and that they're not necessarily evidence of criminal conduct or other wrongdoing. It's just being flagged for potential violations. So while yes, there's been all of this money flagged for potential violations, it doesn't mean that those are violations. It just means that they've been flagged like that. So they could be completely legitimate. However, you're seeing a lot of this money being flagged as this, which is when you're at what? trillion just between two mega banks. I think that's a fair amount of money to be really flagging as suspicious and not really doing a ton about from what we're seeing from these papers. Again, it's like, it's like uh, people, you know, one red flag. Okay. I notice two trillion, two trillion red flags. All right. I should Mm -hmm. probably... Should probably you know, think that there's something wrong. This isn't just not holding the date, the door open for your date. This is like being rude to the server and spitting in their face at this point. Like the red flag is screaming here. It is a white flag at this point. It is not a red flag anymore. It is just waving <laughs> a white flag in front of you. 
I'd like to focus in on one of the banks you mentioned, which was JP Morgan Chase, which I actually have a debit card with them. And I've had one since I was 13. So full-blown acknowledgement here. Eric and I I kind of a little hurt through JP Morgan Chase. We both have Chase accounts. So (laughs) full discretion, full discretion, full disclaimer. We Yeah, I was a little hurt to I was a little hurt to hear this because I love Chase and they've always been good to me. So to find this out. I was like, okay. A little upsetting, a little hurtful. Yeah. So it's the largest bank based in the United States and it moved money for people and companies tied to the massive looting of public funds in Malaysia, Venezuela, and Ukraine. Or at least that's what the Pandora papers or the FinCEN files say. And the bank moved more than $1 billion for the fugitive financier behind Malaysia's 1MDB, which is Malaysia's state-owned investment fund scandal. The records show more than $2 million for a young energy moguls company that has been accused of cheating Venezuela's government and helping cause electrical blackouts that crippled large parts of the country. Interesting. And they also processed more than $50 million in payments over a decade for Paul Manafort, which some of you may remember as Donald Trump's former campaign manager 2016 keeps on coming up i know it's referenced very heavily in these papers yeah everyone thinks the 2020 election's corrupt but wait till you hear about the 2016 (laughs) election yeah the bank shuffled at least 6.9 million in manafort transactions in the 14 months after he resigned from the campaign amid a swirl of money laundering and corruption allegations spawning from his work with a pro-Russian political party in Ukraine. So again, with those Russian interference claims, Paul Manafort so, had a lot to do with it, apparently. So what did what did J.P. Morgan have to say about this? Oh, actually, they were legally prohibited from discussing clients or transactions because of confidentiality. And it, they actually have decided to take a leadership role in pursuing proactive intelligence-led investigations and developing innovative techniques to help to help combat financial crime. So in other words, no specifics, <laughs> but a lot of big talk for saying something. Literally, I don't recall, actually. Yeah, just we're going to tell you kind of what you want to hear in a big, big words, and we're not really going to elaborate any further. So what exact are the policies what are these innovative techniques oh actually they can't tell you because confidentiality yeah so you know are they really going on are they not are we going to take them at their word for it we don't know that is that is up to you as the listener well chase and those other big banks that we mentioned aren't the only ones acting up a bit There's also several law firms and some accounting practices that we will get into if you want to discuss the law firms first, though. Yeah, for sure. So one of the documents in the Pandora Papers, it shows that banks around the world help their customers set up at least almost 4,000 offshore companies with the assistance of Alamon, Cordero, Galindo, and Lee, a Panamanian law firm led by a former ambassador to the U.S. The document shows that the firm, also known as Alcagol, set up at least a little over 300 companies in the British Virgin Islands for clients of the American financial services giant, Morgan Stanley. So Which also, if you remember, Alcogol was the one who helped out the King of Jordan. Yes. So you're seeing a lot of overlap here between players and actors. 
The Pandora Papers investigation, it also highlights how Baker McKenzie, the largest law firm in the U.S., helped create the modern offshore system and continues to be a mainstay of the shadow economy that they're calling it within the Pandora Papers. Baker McKenzie and its global affiliates, they use their lobbying and legislation and how exactly to draft this legislation to shape financial laws around the world. It, that's essentially what you're doing as a lobbying firm. You're going out trying to help your client get the best advantage. That's what you should be doing as an attorney. You should always be there to help your clients out the absolute most. Your allegiance isn't to other people. Your allegiance is to your client. So here they are, they're really gunning for their client and they just tend to have a lot of really rich clients that could benefit from shaping offshore tax systems. So Imagine changing laws just to make more money. You know, you can do it if you're rich enough. And Couldn't so, be me. They also profited from work being done for people tied to fraud and corruption reportedly from the ICIJ. The ICIJ has reported this. We take no institutional stance. They have not been proven guilty in a court of law that they have been guilty of this. However, that's what the ICIJ is saying. So we are reporting from that. However, we do not, that is, that is all allegedly at this point. And what did they have to say about it, Hunter? So, you know, as common theme throughout this episode, the spokesperson didn't really address it about Baker McKinsey's role in the offshore economy, and they were citing client confidentiality and legal privilege. But the spokesperson did say that the firm performed strict background checks on all potential clients. So how exactly those background checks play into it, if they'll still take them on as a client, they didn't say that it impacts their client onboarding process. They just said that a perform these background checks. So are you still taking them on as clients? Are you not? You know, we, we didn't get an answer on that. It just, they said that they do perform these background checks. So like we said, you know, all of this is alleged. We don't have definitive proof. There's not a legal decision that's been levied upon this firm. However, that's how, what the ICIJ is reporting in the Pandora papers. Yep. And that's not even the most intriguing financial operation. I would say the accounting practices takes that like no competition first prize. Okay. Let's hear about it. (laughs) So if you don't know, Luxembourg is a landlocked European duchy that has been identified as the country to be in for all brand name corporations seeking to drastically reduce tax bills. They actually have one of the highest incomes, if not the highest income, I believe, per person in the world. Makes sense, considering if there was no taxes and I was a billionaire corporation looking for more money, I would also hey, probably want I mean, to go to Luxembourg. It sounds like a pretty solid place to live from all of the indexes that I've been seeing. But so just to right. name a few, just to name just a little bit. Pepsi, name drop. <laughs> Ikea, FedEx. Well, I didn't name drop them. The Pandora, <laughs> the Pandora Papers, Papers and Vincent Files did. Yeah, Pandora and Vincent name drop yeah. them. And also just a, I would say a disclaimer, even though I've already started reading this, uh, the accounting practices from the Vincent Files really helped to understand how everyone mentioned in the Pandora Papers are able to do the financial activities that they're, that they're doing. They really mm-hmm. gives a detailed look as to how exactly these people are doing this and it might be confusing for you or maybe it won't it was confusing for me but (laughs) anyways pepsi ikea fedex and 340 other international companies have secured secret 
deals from Luxembourg that was identified during the FinCEN files, allowing many of them to slash their global tax bills while maintaining little presence in the tiny European country. Which, you know what? I have a problem with that because vending machines are now $2 for Pepsi when they used to be a dollar. So if you're not paying taxes on if you're, your if you're products. you're somehow negating taxes at some point, allegedly, all of this is alleged. Alleged. As we said. If all of this is, if you're allegedly dodging taxes, I would like to allegedly have my product be less money at this point. <laughs> yeah, from the amount of money you're saving by being in Luxembourg, I demand Cut the price. that pop Cut the goes price. back to being $1.25 in the vending machine. I am offended. Some of our listeners will be upset that we call it pop. I know some <laughs> people are very, very directed towards using soda. So we're so sorry if this offends you of calling it pop. We are from the Midwest. That is what we call it. We don't call it soda pop. It's not soda. It's not a Coke. And every single thing is a Coke in the South. It's not like any of that weird stuff. It is, we just call it pop. Just so to clarify. So sorry if that offends you. <laughs> just to clarify, Hunter, sorry, I'm not. It's called pop. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i'll be our pr for the episode <laughs> i'll agree to disagree but it's pop <laughs> okay okay all right so anyway, what's up with these companies anyways we're getting charged almost two dollars for a pop now but these companies have appeared to channel hundreds of billions of dollars through luxembourg and saved billions of dollars in taxes so it's not really adding up a bit and that was according to a review of nearly 28,000 pages of confidential documents conducted by the ICIJ and a team of more than 80 journalists in 26 countries. Okay. Yeah, so these big companies can get some big tax savings by creating complicated accounting and legal structures that move profits from low-tax Luxembourg or move profits to low-tax Luxembourg from higher-tax countries where they're headquartered or do lots of business, which I mean, makes sense because anything complicated will just go over my head. And so in some instances, companies have enjoyed effective tax rates of less than 1% on the profits they've shuttled into Luxembourg. That'd be really nice, you know, instead of in the 20%, that'd be really nice, you know, I mean, Michigan has a 19%. Michigan has a 6% tax rate for like, you know, sales. And I already think that's too high. Chicago is like, what, 11%? (laughs) Oh, it's high in Denver. I know that much. Whenever I get anything shipped to anywhere in Denver, it is, it's a little expensive. Yeah. So I would love to have 1%, you know, taxes instead of my 30% income taxes. However, we're not rich enough to get 1% as a tax. (laughs) It's fine. You'll do your rich to get that 1% tax. I'm fine. But anyways, these leaked documents reviewed by the ICIJ journalists include hundreds of private tax rulings, sometimes known as quote unquote comfort letters, which I would like to be comforted by 1% taxes. But That would be very comforting. That'd be very but, comforting. Please give me the 1% tax. I'd be very comfortable with that. Yes. But the, so the comfort letters are private tax rulings that Luxembourg provides to its corporations seeking favorable tax treatment. And again, I am seeking favorable tax treatment, Luxembourg, please. Love that. Um, So for example, Memphis-based FedEx, which I actually didn't know that FedEx was from Memphis, but okay. They set up two Luxembourg affiliates to shuffle earnings from its Mexican, French, and Brazilian operations to FedEx affiliates in Hong Kong 
profits move from Mexico to Luxembourg largely as tax-free dividends. Luxembourg agreed to tax only one quarter of 1% of FedEx's non-dividend income flowing through this arrangement, leaving the remaining 99.75% tax-free. FedEx also declined on the comment. FedEx also declined to comment on the specifics of its Luxembourg tax agreements. There's been a lot of no comments in this episode. So there we can has. see some other companies that also enjoyed these tax deals from Luxembourg um, coming from private equity, real estate, banking, manufacturing, pharma, and other industries. The lead files show they include Accenture, Abbott Laboratories, American International Group, AIG, Amazon, Blackstone, Deutsche Bank, and the Coach Handbag Empire, just to name a few, H.A. Hines, J.P. Morgan Chase, Burberry, Procter & Gamble, and the Carlyle Group. And then the... Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. Experts who've reviewed the files for the ICIJ say that the documents make it clear that the companies and their advisors at PwC engaged in aggressive tax reduction strategies using Luxembourg in combination with other tax havens such as Gibraltar, Delaware, and Ireland as tax havens. So you're seeing that the Pandora Papers are really pointing to a lot of different areas where these tax havens exist and shuffling this money around. Yeah. And just to give a few more examples, we talked about FedEx. Well, Pepsi, again, you've been named. <laughs> you've been named and then you've been named in the Pandora Papers. The New York based unit of Pe- PepsiCo used subsidiaries in Luxembourg to arrange a series of loans among, among its sister companies. I think there's quite a few in Pepsi. So, and mm-hmm. it allowed the bottler to reduce its tax rate on its $1.4 billion purchase of a controlling interest in JSC Lebedinsky, I might have pronounced that wrong, but it's Russia's largest juice maker. Okay, interesting. very interesting. Yeah, at least $750 million of the money, $750 million of the money involved in the Russian deal traveled through Luxembourg subsidiary named Tanglewood before landing in Pupsi subsidiary in Bermuda. And Luxembourg acted as a tax-reducing conduit as the profits moved. So, so we're not we haven't going, elaborated on We're not going to America. Map. We're going from Luxembourg to Bermuda. We're... Okay. All right. Yeah. They haven't elaborated on how much they saved, but that tells me all Once I again, need no to know. Comment. <laughs> and then Coach set up two Luxembourg entities to move 250 million euros in Hong Kong earnings in 2011, an amount it expected to approach $1 billion in Euro, 1 billion euros by 2013. So one Luxembourg entity acted as an internal corporate bank, allowing much of the luxury goods makers, Asian operating earnings to go through a series of foreign entities in form of interest payments on money. The company loaned itself. Okay. Yeah. So they're paying interest on a loan that they took out on themselves. So I feel like that literally means they're not paying anything. And again, they only paid 250K euros in tax on 36.7 million euros. So if you're not a big math person like me, that translates to about a rate well below 1% of taxes. Very interesting. Okay. And then our favorite store, Ikea. Hunter, (laughs) do you want to tell them? I mean, this one isn't as much of a surprise considering everyone knows it as like Swiss. Yeah, so IKEA, they've used Luxembourg as part of the tax saving strategy, almost as complicated as the retail chains ready to assemble furniture. So it's already hard enough to do that. It's hard enough. It's also hard to explain how exactly this is going with IKEA. IKEA operates through two independent groups of 
of companies. First, there's the IKEA group that controls most of the 364 big box IKEA stores and the inter-IKEA group, which oversees franchise operations. Inter-IKEA structure includes a Luxembourg holding company, a Luxembourg finance company, a Liechtenstein foundation, and a Swiss finance arm. Leaked documents show IKEA's Luxembourg operations opened the Swiss subsidiary in 2009 to outsource part of their financing operations to yet another low tax jurisdiction, allowing the company to save taxes both in Luxembourg and in Switzerland. So the Pandora Papers are, they're calling IKEA out for this. They're saying, you are clearly engaging in these offshore companies. You're engaging in multi, you're, you are a multinational corporation and you're really going for the most favorable tax rate, which essentially is what a business is designed to do. A, a business is designed to make a profit. It's not designed to take in morality and do all these other things if you're looking at it through a very economic sense. So it's understandable why these businesses would try and go for the most effective tax rate. However, when it starts getting a little shady, you're going through all these different companies, different holding companies, different shell companies, different finance companies. That's where it starts to get a little complicated. And that's where the Pandora papers are really coming out against it. So even the Canadian government got a private Luxembourg tax ruling. In 2008, the Public Sector Pension Investment Board that manages the pensions for all Canadian federal employees, including the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, they bought real estate in Berlin. The pension board set up Luxembourg companies that helped it sidestep German land transfer taxes, which is a complex internal loan structure that allowed the board to pay minimal taxes in Luxembourg on income from the German properties. The investment board has a Luxembourg office, a place where desks can be rented by the month and where two employees watch over $600 million in European investments. So you know, are these two employees really overseeing all $600 million? I don't know. I cannot say for sure, but it seems a little suspicious that two employees are overseeing this much money. So especially at a place where it's renting a desk for a month, you know, that's where you start to get a little bit suspicious about these things where it's like, you could at least try and make the public like image look a little bit better around all of this, but you're just like feeding more and more into like this giant conspiracy that you are holding in secrets at this point. I mean, I think I'm a lot suspicious because corporations, while I wish they wouldn't, it's not that surprising to me that a corporation would, because I mean, they are about profit. That's Mm -hmm. literally what they're there to do. They're there to make a profit. So it doesn't, necessarily surprise me yeah like we're not going into this episode under the guise that businesses aren't set up to make profits in an economic sense that's exactly what a business does a business is not following a very socialist or communistic model of spreading profits it is literally there to create profits for the business structure and however you set up that business structure is you know up to the business but that's that's what they're designed to do is make money so we're not going into this episode under some other guise of no they're supposed to be saving the world that's really not what businesses are meant to do businesses are literally incorporated to make a profit yeah and so the thing that gets me about the whole pandora papers and the fincen files is that like at the very end you mentioned the canadian government involved and we talked about all those public officials linked to the pandora papers Mm -hmm. that's where it kind of gets me it's like yeah these people not only get to benefit from the system, it'd be one thing if they didn't have influence over the laws and they were just, you know, there to make a profit like these corporations, but then we have them in influencing the political sphere. We have them influencing the government. 
where yeah, they really, not only can make the laws, but then they can benefit from the laws that they make for themselves. Yeah, they're set up in a position to where they're supposed to be legislating all of these laws. However, most of them benefit them and they don't necessarily benefit their constituencies. That's where, you know, I have a hard time as well. We've seen trickle down economics not work in the past. So if you're really doing this in favor of rich people to go and spend money, you're not seeing this money get spent. You're seeing it being held in offshore accounts. You're not seeing, this is, that's not trickle down economics. Trickle down economics would say that that money is supposed to be being spent and lower classes will enjoy what the high class, what the upper class spends on. However, you're not spending that much money. It's in an overseas account. It's staying in the account. It's not, it's being hoarded in one specific place. It's not being spread out. It can't trickle down if it's not even there to begin with in the sky of trickling down at that point. So that's where I have a problem with this because the Pandora Papers almost prove that trickle down economics aren't working and that you're seeing these elites go and really benefit from their place in society and how they can control the global financial institutions. Yeah. And all the stuff we just brought up to you guys, that was part of it. That was literally such a small part yeah, of what was done. revealed in the Pandora papers. Like, I wish we could give you such a long episode, just really detailing this for you. Maybe it'll be a part two if you guys rate and review us and like our <laughs> Instagram posts and yeah, tell us if you, you guys want really like part. this episode. We can make a part two because, like Erica said, this was only part of the Pandora papers. This wasn't even the bulk of it. This wasn't most of it. This was a very brief overview and we know at this rate this is a very long episode and we understand that but this is there's so many things going on like we said there's 2.94 terabytes of data and documents that's so many different documents right there there's so many so like we can totally do another episode on this but this is really just the this is the bare necessities of what the pandora papers are so when you're hearing about them more and more in media this is what the pandora papers are Yep. So if you want to hear us do a part two, make sure to let us know. I would be more than happy. We would be more than happy to give as many episodes as you want. Yeah, we can actually put a poll on our Spotify. So please just vote on that. How you vote in the poll is you click on the episode and then you actually click on the episode in Spotify. And then there should be a poll right underneath it, like under the summary. The same thing goes for questions on Spotify too. So we'll put a poll in there for this. And we'll also put a poll on our Instagram and our Facebooks too. Yep. So we hope to talk to you guys soon. We know, like Hunter said, this has been a very long episode and we apologize. There again, it's just so much information, but mm-hmm. again, make vote on that poll and Spotify, leave us a rate review on Apple Podcasts, please. It will be our Christmas present or... <laughs> Hanukkah present or whatever holiday you celebrate, it'll be a present to Hunter it'll and be I. Our holiday presents, yes. Yeah, it'll your view would be your present, and that would be the greatest present of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Our audience is growing every single week, so we really appreciate all the new listeners too. For all of you that have just started joining in the podcast, we really appreciate every single one of you. We do this for you guys. We geek out about it, so we're just super excited that you guys are also here to geek out about it with us. So definitely, feel free to let us know if you guys want a part two for this episode. Let us know kind of how you else you want the podcast to go forward. But with that, check us out on our socials. And I think that kind of concludes this briefing, Erica. It does. We'll see you next week on a Keep It Brief. Yes. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we will see you guys next Monday. Bye. Bye.
Hey y'all, so real quick before we go, obviously we already made this into a part two. If you guys want more on the Pandora Papers, let us know. That poll will be live on our Spotify, so just click on the description for this episode and then you can go there and find it. We are so happy that you guys came here and we also just want to once again reiterate that this was heavily sourced from ICIJ. They were the only source for this week. There were additional sources within the ICIJ. However, they were the primary source, so there was a lot of direct quoting from there. So if you guys hear any of that, that is where we are getting this information from. So thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you guys on Monday.